Let's pray together. Our good and our holy God, as we stand in this place, we give you thanks. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you, to sing and to give and to greet. We thank you for a, an opportunity to pray. We thank you for those moments of, of pause and silence. And God, we thank you for your word. As we open it together today, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us hearts that are tender that would receive your word like seed planted in fertile soil. We pray, Lord, that you would give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will, that you would strengthen our hands for service in this world, that our deeds would be as your very own. And Lord, we pray that a word of witness, life, would be found on our tongues. God, this is our prayer in the strong, powerful, and beautiful name, Jesus. And we pray together saying, amen and amen. Please be seated. And as you're seated, if you'd find a Bible, uh, our focal text today will be from 1 Chronicles chapter 14. Uh, as you're turning there, I'll give you a little preview for the next few weeks. Uh, next week, our youth will be leading our service. We'll have a youth-led service next week. That's always an uh, encouraging and important time in the life of our church, so please be here for that. It would be good. Following that, we have a sermon series beginning on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, so if you want to read ahead, and I would encourage you to, start working through John's epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. There's some great themes uh, that come through those, those beautiful epistles. Uh, today is sort of a standalone uh, week. It's, it's rare that I preach sort of standalone sermons. It's usually always in a series, but it just has the calendar this year worked out. So today I'm preaching from my journal. Uh, I'm just sharing with what, what God has been saying to my heart as I read through Scripture. Uh, every year I read through the Bible. This year I have one of those sort of chronological plans I'm working through. So in the past several weeks, I've been in the David material uh, in the Old Testament. Some, some humdinger stories in there, guys. Uh, quite some stuff. Uh, and today is a story from that David material uh, about God's work in David's life and God's work in the life of the, of the kingdom, the people of God. Uh, the, the kingdom had just been consolidated. David had just brought together all of the people under, under one reign. David started out his leadership in sort of a, an, an odd way. He was a little kid who killed the giant, and then he was the one who gathered together all of the debtors and malcontents and people who were angry and, and upset, yeah, all of the outcasts, uh, and, and they became his, his army. And, and all the while, the real king was trying to kill him. <laughs> David had a sort of shaky beginning, but everything was coming together for David at this point. And, and the people looked at him and said, he's the leader. And, and God smiled on him and said, he's the leader. And, and international leaders started looking at him and said, he's the leader. All smooth sailing after that, right? Wrong. It's a story about life in the world that is. And about leadership in the world that is. And all of us, we're all called to lead in the world that is. And, and God has a place for all of us to, to lead in his kingdom. Uh, to, to take responsibility for those little parts of the world that he has entrusted us with. And the people that he's given to us. 
So today's story is a story about David, yes, but it's not just one of those old-time, back-in-the-Bible-day stories. It's a story about right here and right now, a story about you and a story about me. We'll start reading in, in verse 1 of chapter 14. Read the word of the Lord. King Hiram of Tyre sent messengers to David along with cedar logs and, and masons and carpenters to build a house for him. David then perceived that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that his kingdom was highly exalted for the sake of his people Israel. Verse 3 to 7, David sets up shop in a very Old Testament style. You can read it later on this afternoon. Some of you are reading it now. <laughs> and in, in verse 8, we pick this up. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, all of the Philistines went up in search of David. And David heard of it and went out uh, against them. Now the Philistines had come and made a raid in the valley of Rephaim. David inquired of God, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? The Lord said to him, Go up, and, and I will give them into your hand. So he went up to Baal Perazim, and David defeated them there. David said, God has burst out against my enemies by my hand like a bursting flood. Therefore, that place is called Baal Perazim. They abandoned their gods there, and at David's command, they were burned. All right, verse 13. This is how it starts. Once again. Have you ever felt that? <laughs> Once again, the Philistines made a raid in the valley. When David again inquired of God, God said to him, You shall not go up after them. Go around and come on them opposite the balsam trees. When you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then go out to battle. For God has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. David did as God commanded him. And they struck down the Philistine army from Gibeon to Gezer. The fame of David went out into all the lands. And the Lord brought the fear of him on all the nations. And you say, Matt, that's, that's interesting. That's, that's one for the felt boards. That's one of those wild Old Testament tales with fighting and armies and, and all kind of fancy stuff. So what? Why does it matter? Well, if you brought those pencils along with you or pens, I just want to linger over a few principles, some things that I think matter for us right here and right now. The first one being, like David, we, the followers of Jesus, have been anointed to reign. Now, don't get the big head at the beginning. Tap the brakes, and let's think about this for a moment. Christ, our Messiah, Jesus, our Lord, was the anointed one, chosen by God, begotten of the Father, anointed to lead us, anointed to be prophet and priest and king. He came preaching the reign of God, the kingdom of God. And he called us to repent and to receive the kingdom, to repent and join the kingdom. Repent 
and be part of the kingdom's work. To speak for God as God led us to speak. To intercede for one another as priests unto one another and before God. And anointed to lead. The Apostle Paul got this image deep down in the marrow of his own bones. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, we read his words. He said, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David. That is my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, so that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is true, if we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. Paul often writes about the rhythm of the cross and the resurrection our, our odd baptismal identity, as, as Walter Brueggemann will call it. Buried with Christ in baptism, we've been raised to walk with the, in the newness of life. And if we share in his suffering and his identity and the way of the cross and a cruciform existence, we're, we are raised up to lead and to reign according to the rhythms and the patterns of that crucified and resurrected one. We've been called on to accept responsibility. We've been called on to identify with Jesus, and we have been called on to lead. This passage of Scripture in, in 2 Timothy has a future tense reality to it for sure, but there are also present tense responsibilities to own our responsibility under His Lordship, to accept our role in the kingdom of God, our role in leading. Second principle worth considering, I believe, is that we are anointed to reign, not for our own sake, but for the sake of God's kingdom and for his glory. Verse 2, it said, for the sake of his people Israel, he was anointed as king. From the very beginning of this kingdom on earth, there was a huge qualifier. And that's that David wasn't to reign for the sake of David but that his leadership and his, his life was to be expensed for the sake of the kingdom, for his, capital H, people, for God's people. God's called every single last one of us to responsibility and leadership and guidance in, in the realms that he's placed us in, not for our own identity and for our own sake, but for his glory and for the good of other people. God wants to use our lives to benefit others according to his heart and according to his purpose and according to the richness of his glory. You're called to lead. Often we resist it. Often we reject it. But it's who we are in the Messiah. And we're called to lead in a certain way for a certain purpose. And that's for the glory of God and for the good of others. Two important principles. All right, the third one. The advance of the kingdom of God will be opposed. No sooner, no sooner than the kingdom was established and the Phoenician king of Tyre sent logs and carpenters to identify 
with what was happening in the world. No sooner than that happened than the footprints of soldiers started being heard in the valley. And this rain would be opposed. The kingdom of God and the advancement of the kingdom of God is opposed every centimeter, every inch of the way. If we read the Bible from our name on the front to the maps in the back, we begin to notice all the stuff in between. And all the stuff in between, there are stories of principalities and powers, the world, the flesh, the devil, trials and challenges. Every step of the way, we will face opposition. It's just part of the story. But it's only part of the story. Because if you still have your pencil, you still have your pen, there's still some principles to go. And the next one is this. God can break through this opposition. And he's called us to play a role in this. He said, God is the God that bursts forth like water, like water through the enemies. Kids love fish and fish tanks. One of the non-negotiables for our rehab children's building was a fish tank. I didn't think it was that important. Cecil didn't think it was that important. We sort of fussed. Do we really need a fish tank? Fish tanks are expensive. They're messy. They're alive. You've got to tend to them. Do we really need a fish tank? Joellen, Robin, they drew a hard line in the sand, and we flat lost. <laughs> they said, kids love fish, and they do. The kids will stand around that fish tank and watch fish. When I was a little kid, I loved fish too. Uh, we wanted to have a, a goldfish bowl, and so we bought one, and Mom and Dad took us down to TG&Y and bought us some of those TG&Y goldfish that a lot of people were using for bait, but we wanted as pets. And so we came home, and they would never last more than three or four days. And after we killed a, a series of TGNY goldfish, they said, you're on your own. So we would go down to the drainage ditch in the neighborhood, and we would catch guppies. They lived forever. <laughs> they were the best pets. And while we were down there collecting those guppies, uh, we would often, in order to do it, we would build little dams in those creeks that ran through the neighborhoods in order to make a little pool because it was easier to catch guppies that way. We dam up the creeks every single last time. The power of the creek would overflow our futile attempts to stop the flow. And we could get it stopped for a little while, but the river, the creeks, the drainage ditches would always burst forth. This is the imagery that David gives us. He said, there's this opposition that comes against God, and, and there are these attempts, attempt after attempt, to, to stop the flow of that life, to stop the flow of that rain. But at some point, at some point, the strength of what God is doing overcomes the attempts of the adversaries of that move. And God burst out like water through those enemies. That's the news that follows the news. And that's what we get to be part of.
And this story gives us a rhythm of life. You say, God, I want to be part of the movement of your reign, a movement of your kingdom. I want to be part of this bursting forth. How does it happen? Well, this story gives us a rhythm and a pattern of life. And it's, it's a rhythm of analysis and action, analysis and action, analysis and action. Faithful, courageous living that is thoughtful and mindful and reflective. You see it throughout this story. It, it begins with analysis and a, and a definition of reality. And what was reality for David? Reality for David was twofold. It was the gifts from the Phoenician king and the presence of the carpenters in the city and the armies of the Philistines. Hiram of Tyre was a friend to David throughout his reign and then would become a friend to Solomon after that. He was the first international leader, this Phoenician leader, to recognize David's legitimacy. David, King David, probably, probably didn't have all he needed to have in order to be a proper king. And so Hiram, the Phoenician leader, started cutting down those great Lebanese cedars and sent with those cedars to David carpenters who knew how to work with that stuff and masons who knew how to work with that stuff. And so he sent a crew and he sent materials and he sent his commitments and his friendships. I, I remember being in, in Lebanon looking at those cedars. I was with Mike and we were up there and we were being toured through the cedars of Lebanon. Uh, and you know, Lebanese, Israeli, they don't always get along. And so our tour guide would be like, there'd be a lot more cedars if the Israelis hadn't taken them all to build their temples and, and houses. I'm like, I'm sorry, it's right there. But he sent all of that wood and all of those people. And that was part of the story. And the army of the Philistines was part of the story. Both of these things were reality for David. And both of these things are realities for you. You see, we tend to either be Pollyanna or Eeyore, the donkey. We either are always on the sunny side or it's always raining and storming. Be careful of the language you use. If you notice yourself using a lot of universals like always, never, all, everybody, nobody, you probably don't have a clear vision of reality because reality is always a mixture of the gifts from Phoenicia and the armies from Philistia. You say, we don't have any resources. I don't have any resources. And then when you read through the stories of Scripture, God always says, what's in your hand? Let's start with that. It's just a stick, God. It's just a few loaves and fish, God. It's just a little cruise of oil, God. What's, what's there? If you only had a, a, a little bit of meal, if you only had a few loaves and fish and you saw the multitude, if you only had a few rocks in your bag and there was a giant taunting the God that was your God, you might be tempted to say, I don't have anything. I have nothing. And God says, let me see what you have. That's reality. God would have some of us be a little more like MacGyver and the people from Gilligan's Island. I mean, MacGyver with bubble gum and a, and a bobby pin 
could make a raft. <laughs> I always thought, you know, when they put TV shows together, I always thought they should put together Gilligan's Island and MacGyver. That'd be a, he'd get them off of that island in like seven minutes. You know, I thought about Gilligan's Island. The smartest guy on the island, the professor, this was the only time he could be the coolest guy in the presence of Ginger and Marianne. He was never going to let them get off of that island. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> but MacGyver would have done it because for him there was never nothing. And for us there's never nothing. So part of the analysis is to look at reality and to see both the blessings and the provision and the challenges and not to be blind with either. Do you have a clear-eyed, sober view of your reality? Do you see things as they really are? Or is it always, never, none, all, everybody, nobody? Next thing he did is he inquired of God. You see, there's the real, but the real is never real enough if you believe in God. Never real enough. And David knew God, and God knew David, and so David brought his challenge before the Lord, and he said to him, he said to him, shall I go up? He wanted to know God's perspective, God's values, God's plans, God's purpose, God's methods. And if we're going to be leaders in the kingdom of God, we have to care about those things too. We're not simply on our own, trying things out and hoping that God will smile on it. God is, is our God, and He is our leader, and He is our king. And it is incumbent on us to, to lay our lives before Him and inquire of, of Him as David did, to ask of the Lord. So David went through this season of analysis, and, and in our lives, we need to go through seasons of analysis, but that analysis led to action. Uh, God said to David, go up, and the following description of David's life was, so he went up. Now, if I was the kind of preacher that was prone to the hoop, this would be a place where we could spend about 40 minutes. God said, go up, so he went up. I mean, I, I mean if I was better at this, that's what I would do. But you guys have set this clock for lunchtime, so we're not going to do that looking at you. I'm just going to ask you this question. If God says to go up to you, can people afterwards write, so he went up? Analysis is vital, but it's got to lead to something. I have a good friend who was a new pastor in a college town church, and it's not this one. I'm not using a metaphor. I'm not talking out of turn. This is a real friend in another church in, a, in, a, in well, the same town, but it's a college town. And he said, man, after the first meeting I had uh, with, with the leaders of the church, I said, okay, what are we going to do now? And he said, they looked at me dumbfounded. He said, what do you mean? We've done it. He said, no, we've talked about doing it. Now how are we going to do it? He said, no, this is what we do. We come and we analyze and we talk and we, and it all broke down. And some of us get paralyzed in the analysis, and, and, and we come to the place where we, we chew on the what is and the, and the how should we and, we, and we even think we might have heard what we should do next. And then we rest in the fact that we've accomplished something. And some so they went up needs to follow. David, as a leader, 
showed how to lead. And when he believed they heard from God, they did what they believed God had called them to do. And it led to more analysis. After the great victory, they thought about it for a little while, and they talked about it. And David said, God did it. Right there at verse 11. Then he said, I did it. Verse 11. Now, are these things incompatible? No. No. Because we've got to know where our, our guidance and our strength and our ability comes from. And we also have to be the kind of people that take responsibility for action in the kingdom. He said, God burst forth by my hand. And we have to own both of those things if we're going to be effective witnesses for his kingdom in this earth. Both God's initiative and power and our response and responsibility. It really does keep us humble as opposed to the other alternative. I remember one time I heard of this young pastor who was new to, new to being a pastor, and he got through with the sermon, and he stood at the back of the, the room, and they were all coming out and congratulating him and saying, oh, you really you know, stepped on my toes, pastor, and he was being all sanctimonious. Well, I was aiming for your heart, you know, all that kind of talk. He was coming through, and most of the time he would just say, it wasn't me at all, it was all the Lord. He did that to about four farmers in the rural south, and the fourth one said, well, son, it wasn't nearly that good. <laughs> there is a human element to all of this, but it's wed to this grace and this life of God. And until we stand face to face before God, there's going to be some of us involved with the whole thing. God set it up like that. Don't let the truth of that sideline you. Don't let your judgment on other people that you perceive not to be holy enough to be working for God sideline you. Commit your life and your ways to God, and when he speaks, get after it. And celebrate what God does and recognize that God would work through vessels of clay just like well, me and you. And he kept analyzing because these Philistines, they looked at all this and they said, there is a God that is alive. These idols that we're worshiping, let's give these over, let's give these up. And so there's all of these idols in the valley on this battlefield, all these idols. And David has to analyze further and ask himself, what shall we do with these idols? Now here's the thing I've learned from reading the Bible for years and years and years and knowing myself and others. This is a deep theological insight. Prepare yourself for it. King David had some redneck tendencies. I mean, read all the stories about David. He, he did. He wrote touching songs about farm animals and shepherds and God. He was a country guy, you know. Uh, out there in the woods, he had some weaknesses that are pretty famous. He was a warrior. Hemingway hero type. He had some tendencies. This is what I know about people with redneck tendencies. They love trophies. They love deer heads on the wall. They love those softball trophies. If, if they won the office pool for counting paper clips and it came with a trophy, they'd have that on their desk. And here's an opportunity 
to have a museum full of trophies. An opportunity for bragging rights and swagger. And David had to go back to the book and back to a living God and say, what should I do with all of this? Get rid of it. It's nothing. Throw them away. Burn them up. Analysis. Say, well, that's it. That's a great story. Nope. Before it was over, he said, and the Philistines, they went up again. It started all over again. All over again. And you would have been tempted, and David was tempted, I'm quite sure, to say, well, hey, I just did this. I know what to do. I got this. But it said, David inquired of the Lord again. And you know what? God gave him a different pattern and a different plan and another way to attack it. For us, here's the principle. You never lead so well that you can cease to be led. You will never reign to such a point that you're not under the reign. And if we ever get to the point where we feel like we can quit inquiring of God because we've got it figured out, then we become the king that stays home when kings go off to war. And our eyes look to the side and we pick up the idols. God has called us to leadership, but primarily, He's called us to Himself. God, we thank you for your word that instructs and teaches, challenges, encourages, and corrects. Lord, today as we sing, I pray that we would all recommit ourselves to following you and to leading others in those places of life where you have given us responsibility. Lord, I pray for people in this room, perhaps, Lord, that need to confess you as Lord and Savior or join this church. I pray as we sing that they would come. Seal in our hearts, Lord, a fresh zeal for you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Let's stand. Let's stand together and sing.